Revelation 21 in this room. And uh, we were looking at the, the New Jerusalem. And uh, as John was preaching or teaching this truth, he said, uh, I'm ready to go. Right now, how about you? And I thought, boy, am I. I don't know what it is about the, maybe it's just the, the agony that I feel in the United States right now, the, the hurt, the, uh, the malice, the confusion, the falseness. <clears throat> Boy, I really would that America could have an a understanding of the God who loves her. That the people in our country would uh, stop hearing the voices of the media and the social media and the foolishness and the anger, and the malice, and again, the outright dishonesty, that they would just know the truth, the truth of God's love, the power of God to save, the power of God to change. As I mentioned, this is uh, Memorial Day weekend. Fifteen years ago, I was in Germany For, I guess, three weeks to a month, preaching at different churches. And I was there for Memorial Day and um, in a city park, in a German city park. The United States uh, was using the park, the United States military was using the park to have a Memorial Day service on Monday. And the church that I was at um, was the one who were bringing the... Uh, message, and so I was asked if I would uh, give a message on Memorial Day in Germany. And um, as we were walking into the park, I was walking beside, and it's funny, because 15 years ago I was in my 30s. I was walking beside a senior saint, an elderly lady, a German woman, and uh, we had got to know each other the day before at church a little bit. She's just a sweet, sweet, wonderful old woman, and and so she said to me, she said, uh, she said, Preacher, I don't, I don't know this Memorial Day. I don't understand this Memorial Day. What is Memorial Day? And I said, Memorial Day is a day in the United States that we set aside to remember those who have lost their lives defending the United States from our enemies. And, and I was aware of what that would mean, especially to Germans. And uh, she was quiet for a second, and she was looking at the ground, and she said very quietly, but purposely audibly to me, I guess your Memorial Day would be our forget day. Because, see, the people in Germany today, they know the, the errors that were made. And you ask yourself, now, by the way, if you know the German people, all the German people are brilliant people. I mean, truly brilliant people, very, very capable people. They always have been. And they were when they plunged us into World War II. So how could these intelligent people, how could these very gifted people come to this place of mass murdering people and invading their neighbors, taking all of Europe? Soon they would have taken England. I don't know that it, it could have been stopped, but for the providence of God. 
And quite honestly, and it's not because we're Americans that we would say this, but it is true, the entrance of the United States and Russia into World War II, fighting Germany on both fronts at the same time, even while the United States was fighting Japan at the same time. And yet God blessed the United States of America. And God rescued the world from Hitler and the Japanese military. And we don't understand this. Many of you young people don't understand this. I wonder what they even teach kids in school about this anymore. So what leads a nation, what leads Germany, what leads a nation like Germany to be so confused, so lost in their thinking? And I believe we're seeing, and I know people are going to, some people, some of you realize, some of you would agree with me probably, some of you may think I'm just crazy. I believe we're seeing a worse setup here in the United States of America. But I don't think it'll be focused at the Hebrews alone this time. I believe it'll be focused at the Hebrews and biblical Christianity this time. And I believe it will be worse than it was in World War II. And I believe the only hope that America has that that not actually happen is that we, those of us that are new creatures, those of us that are born again, that we walk with our God in the light as he is in the light. And that, if you understand, if you understand what that means, go look at 1 John. Walking with God in the light, as He is in the light, means that we would have love one to another. That people would see in our faces, if, if, any, if any sorrow, that it would be a sorrow for others, not a sorrow for ourselves, a sorrow for others. That they would see real, sensitive, caring, compassionate, selfless love in our lives. This is what God would have through the church. Churches in the United States of America should be full of grace and truth. We have to preach the truth. We must. The world needs the truth. But without grace, the truth is just Phariseeism. The truth is just, we're better than you are, but we're not better. We're saved. We are born again. We are new creatures And our lives are better, and we behave differently. But this is because of what Jesus has done. We're all very aware. If you're not aware, you don't know yourself. We're all very aware that we, left to ourselves, are not able to be what needs to be in our lives. But Jesus is more than able. So I was asked to preach in in Germany on Memorial Day. And so I knew a passage, a specific passage. In fact, it's a passage close to where John read in Exodus chapter 3. You can open Exodus chapter 3 if you want to. Where God used the word memorial, my memorial, in fact. And so I thought, well, I'll talk about God's memorial. What does God want us to remember? But being a, uh, a, a good pastor and a good guest speaker... I thought, well, perhaps I should study it. I had a few days. Perhaps I should study it a little bit. Maybe there's another word. Maybe the memorial is used more than once in the book of Exodus. And so I studied it, and wow. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at five things, five memorials that God wants us to remember. And by the way, I really believe if we would all live these five memorials, if we would live in the light of these five memorials, if our lives would be appropriately changed by these five things that God wants us to keep in remembrance always, it would rescue, if it can be, the United States of America. If we would, li- and by the way, I believe it will rescue you, your family, 
your neighbors, your coworkers, your extended family, the state that we live in, and the nation, should Christians lay hold of these things and live according to them. The first one is in Exodus chapter 3. John gave us the context, the burning bush. God has heard the cries of his people. By the way, I, have to, I do need to introduce this. I need to pray and introduce this. Let's pray first, and then I'll introduce it. Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to spend a few minutes together in your word. Lord, thank you for this book of Exodus. Thank you, Lord, for what you have shown us as a church family uh, through your word. And I thank you for this book, Lord, which many of us just studied together on Tuesday night. Lord, I ask you that you would bless as we would look into it, that you would use the passages that we look at, your word and the other passages that would come to our minds, and Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified, and that we would be edified through these things, that it would make the change in our lives that you want to make. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, do this. Put your finger down in Exodus chapter 3. Turn back, in my Bible, it's two pages. You can turn back until you can see Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Keep your finger in, in uh, Exodus 3. We're just going to flip back there in a minute. And what, you, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Genesis 50 and verse 26. Okay? Genesis 50 and verse 26. And there are the five last words in Genesis 50 verse 26. The first one is a preposition. It begins a prepositional phrase. And I want you to read those last five words with me aloud. In a coffin in Egypt. Let's do it one more time. In a coffin in Egypt. All right, so Genesis ends where? In a coffin in Egypt. But that's not where Genesis began, right? Genesis, which literally is beginning, the, the word means beginning. Genesis begins in a garden, right? Genesis begins in a perfect place with no sin, in fellowship with God. Everything needed, all provision, everything is wonderful. Amen? It ends in a coffin in Egypt. How did that happen? And the answer is a very simple answer. And the answer is sin. Sin. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about it. In other words, we're not going to study sin this morning. But sin can be said this way. My selfishness. Okay? Sin is my selfishness. That's what it is. Sin is my selfishness. Now, we can say, is this sin? Is this sin? Is this sin? Is this sin? And there are many things that are called sin, but all sin comes down to my selfishness. That's what it is. Sin is me choosing me over God, me choosing my way over God, what God would have for me. That's what sin is. That's how we got here. So Genesis ends by teaching us what we did with what God had done for us. And that is we destroyed that which was made for us. Now, Exodus begins in bitter, hard bondage. We already saw it. John was making reference to it. In bitter, hard bondage in Egypt. So God begins the book of Exodus with his people in bitter, hard bondage in Egypt. Now, we're not going to study the whole book. But if you go to 40, if you go to chapter 40, chapter 40 is going to end with Israel rescued out of Egypt brought unto God and the presence, the glorious presence of God in the midst of the children of Israel in the holy of holies so that he could be with his people. Amen? So Exodus, in Exodus, God promises complete deliverance. You should write that at the top of it. Exodus is God's promise of complete 
deliverance. God desires to completely deliver his children. Each of us personally and all of us corporately. That's what God wants to do. And these memorials are given to us that we might know and understand how we can be completely delivered. So the first one, if you turn back to Exodus 3. So God says he's going to send Moses. And Moses says in verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So the first thing that God wants you and I to always remember is him, the person of God. Now, you would say probably this. Well, duh, right? Of course that's the first thing God wants us to remember. But we know that it is the first thing that he wants us to remember because it's the first thing he tells us is to be a remembrance forever. God, listen, this is so I, I don't know how to over, I, I, I don't know how to state this emphatically enough that you'll take it with you. Tomorrow, tomorrow. If you go back and look, go back, we don't have time to look at it now. Go back and look at Eve. When Satan comes and talks to Eve, if you look, when God creates man, when God begins creating man, it's Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Once man is created, it's always Lord God. When Satan comes and talks to Eve, he doesn't say Lord. He drops off capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the holy, righteous, self-existent God. Now, he can't drop off God. Elohim, by the way, means creator, right? He can't stop. He can't not use the word creator because she was a rib a few days ago, and she knows it. She remembers being created. She didn't exist, and now she does. So he can't not say creator. Now, we live in a country today where we, don't, where we, we lie to our children about there even being a creator, about there even being a God. We, we me, when I say we, the, the school system in the United States of America lies to our children and tells them that millions and billions and trillions of years have gone by and accidents have happened and more accidents have happened and you're just one of the accidents that happened. And we wonder why they shoot each other. We wonder why they commit suicide, why their lives are full of drugs and sex and all these terrible things. Why? Because they have no purpose. Because we told them that they have no purpose. But they do have a purpose. Children, you have a wonderful purpose. You have a great God that created you. And he has a great purpose for your life. For you personally, individually. And by the way, if, if, if you want to know what it is, begin with this. Get to know him. And he'll make all things clear to you. Because the greatest purpose in your life is to know him anyway. So here, so here, she says, when she talks back, when Satan says he drops the name Lord, when she talks back, she drops the name Lord. And you'll see in none of the conversation is the name Lord ever used until the Lord comes to see Adam and Eve. And he's the Lord God when he comes because he never stopped being the Lord God. Now, why, you say, why are you mentioning that? Because that's what he says here. Notice what he says, this. He says this, 
Say unto them, this is verse 15, and God said, moreover, thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, notice this, the Lord, that's, that's Jehovah. Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, listen to me, hear me. When you wake up tomorrow morning, remember Jehovah Elohim. Remember the holy, righteous, self-existent God who is your creator. Remember him tomorrow morning when you wake up. Whatever else starts in your day tomorrow morning, when you wake up, say to yourself, the holy, righteous, self-existent God created me. And he has something for me today. There's so much more that we could say. But for the sake of time, that's all I'm going to say. I just want you to say, I want you to take this. The first thing God wants you to always remember for all generations, that includes this one, is who he is. Who he is. And there's so much more we could say, but we'll just say that. The next one is found in chapter 12. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Now in Exodus chapter 12, those of you that just studied this book will remember we leave one section of our, uh, of our outline, this five-point outline to the book of Exodus, and we get to the next one. And this is the cost and the completeness of our deliverance. The cost and the completeness of our deliverance. Look in Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 11, if you would. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. <clears throat> Boy, there's so much. I tell you what. We've got to read this. We're going to start in verse 3. We need to read this. You need to hear this in the context. The context is so important, isn't it? In other words, it helps you so much more to be able to trust what the preacher says if you can see that it's actually what the passage says. I think I shared with you a little while ago, I was in Hickory, North Carolina at the Romanian church, and when I was done, the, uh, the music director came up to me afterwards, and he said, how, how did you make it so simply clear that the passage is saying what you said it said. And I said, well, the passage was saying what I said it said. Do you understand? In other words, I didn't make the passage say anything. It's actually just what the passage said. It matters to you that I'm not telling you this is what the passage says. It matters to you that it's what the passage actually says. Because what you want is the word of God, not the word of the preacher. Do you understand? It doesn't matter how cute, clever, or, or intelligent the speaker is, the preacher is. What matters is what does God say about this. So let's look at it in its context. Speak ye unto all, praise God for this, right? Unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month shall they take to them every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him take it according to the number of their souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall take your count for the lamb. And the lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. And you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood... And strike it on the two sides of the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat it not raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head and his legs with the puritans thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire." 
And thus shall ye eat with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for what? For a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by ordinance. What? Forever. So the second thing that God wants us to remember, always remember, the first one is his person. The second one is the Passover, right? God wants us to remember the Passover. Now, when I say Passover, what does that mean? And here's the thing. The first word that probably should come to your mind when you think Passover is blood. The blood of the lamb. But I want to correct some misunderstanding about what Passover actually means. Many people preach and teach, and it has been for a long time taught this way, that Passover means this, that when God sees the blood, he will skip you. In other words, he will not bring judgment upon you. He will pass over you. He will skip you. And I even had a taught when I remember, I was probably a Bible college class, when I was taught, I remember uh, there's some houses drawn on the board, and there was a line being drawn, and a line went through a house, and the firstborn was dead, and the line went through the next house, and the firstborn was dead, and the line jumped over this house, and, and that was the Passover, and that was God passing over. And there's some truth in that, but that's not really what he means when he says he will pass over us. And if you want to see it, you can go down to verse 23. Go down to verse 23 of the same chapter. Verse 23. Let's, look, let's read it together. And this is really important. If you, there are two things I really would like for you to take. Well, there are five things, really, obviously, I have five points. But these first two, if you take these first two, it'll really help you with the next three. <clears throat> verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And we seeth the blood on the lintel and on the two side posts. Now, I want you to picture this. And I know, I know that I've done this here before. I don't know, maybe some of you have not seen this. So what you have is this. You have the upper post of the door and you have the two side posts, right? That's where the blood is. And so what you, you can very, very easily see someone standing at the doorway like this, very much like our Lord Jesus hanging on the cross for us dying for our sins. But you can very easily see someone blocking the doorway, if you will, as you see this blood. But what I want you to see is this. When I see the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door. Now, this does not mean he will skip you. This, and I want you to picture, this is a really, really important picture. This is what it means. He will cover the door. God will, no, picture this. So what does it mean when God passes over us? And this is what it means. He covers us. He covers us. If something, were, if, something, if something were to happen, I have seen this. I have seen this happen. I have done this. When something, um, you know, a cart, a, a ball, a soccer ball, something is coming close to you and you're with one of your children and your child is little and something is coming directly at you, what do you do? What you do is this. You cover your child, right? You put your body between whatever it is that's coming and the child, yes? I mean, I've watched my wife do this, slam on the brakes in her car, the children in the, driver, in the, in the seat starts to move forward, and so with a, with a mighty right arm, you stick that arm out there, and you catch them. Now, you're not really going to catch them in the seat, by, well, by the way, if they're not wearing it, they shouldn't be in the front seat. 
The seatbelt will stop them anyway. But all of this is done, why? Because of a loving protection. I made reference the other day to the, the we were looking at the Mother's Day. We were looking at the, uh, the, the motherly pictures of God. And we talked about the hen covering her chicks, right? And how it's the hen and not the rooster that does that. And God demonstrates his love, his most tender love, God demonstrates through the mother, often. It's tremendous. And as we were done, Brother Kenny made this reference to me. He said, I don't know if you ever heard about the, uh, the fire that they had. I don't remember where it was. It was someplace in the state of Virginia. Uh, might have been out in the swamp. They had a fire that went through the swamp. And when they went through, there was, uh, uh, I can't remember the bird. It was a, a specific bird that had been, it was like the fire had gone through, like a flash fire, had gone through quickly. And the bird was, was, was literally burnt to the ground. It had its w- wings out like this. And when they kicked the bird over, little chicklets came out from under the bird and they were alive. Because the mother had covered the babies and burned to death and rescued the babies. Well, that's what God is doing. See, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And I will protect you. In the same way that the ark, Noah's ark, saved everybody that was inside it. In that same way, when God sees the blood, he protects us from a judgment we deserve, by the way. From punishment we've earned. And yet it doesn't fall upon us. It falls upon our Lord Jesus as he covers over us and protects us. And says, I will take this instead. There's, a, there's another picture. We don't have time to go look at it right now. There's another picture where Aaron, where, where judgment has gone out. From, from God, and it's going out into Israel, and literally Israel is dying in a circle, in a ring, an outward-going ring. And as, and as the ring gets larger, more people are dying, and Aaron takes coals from off the altar and puts them, and puts them on, his, um, on, on, on his offering, and he literally runs, and he's literally running past the dead to get in front of the dead to where the living are, and when he gets there, he stops, and he turns around, and he holds up the offering before God, and God stops. When he gets to Aaron, and the judgment is stayed, and Aaron is willing to stand between the dead and the living to protect everybody behind him. Why? That's the love of God. That's what God is doing. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the first thing that God wants you to remember is his person. The second one is the Passover. And don't just think of the blood. You should think of the blood. Because without the blood, there is no remission of sins. There has to be the shedding of blood to pay for our sins. But because of the payment of the blood, God will protect you. God himself, instead of being against you, will be for you because of the blood. Amen? Number three. Just go one more chapter. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. In chapter 13, God is going to deliver them with a mighty right arm. Chapter 13. Starting in verse 8. And thou shalt show thy son in that day. So this is later, after this has happened. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And this shall be a sign unto thee upon thy hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season. How how long? From year to year. So this is also how long? Forever. So what's the third thing God wants us? The first in his person, the second is the Passover, and the third is his power. And this is really important. Now listen, again, I don't have a lot of time to go back and look at it, but if you'll go back later 
and look at Exodus chapter 3 when God tells the plan to Moses. This is what he says is going to happen. You're going to go tell the elders of Israel that I have sent you to deliver you from Egypt. And they're going to say, yay, that's great. By the way, Moses' first, first disagreement with God is he says, they're not going to say yay. And they do say yay. When he goes tell them, he says, this is what we're going to do. God's going to deliver us from Egypt. And they say, that's awesome. Let's go do it right now, right? Which is what I would say. Let's go do it right now. And so they want to go be rescued right now. And this is what God says step two is. Then you will go in together and you will tell Pharaoh that I said let you go. And he won't let you go. And then he says it like this. Not with a strong hand. In other words, not only will he not let you go, he will make it clear to you that all of your combined forces are not capable of getting you out of Egypt. And then God says this, and then I will show my right hand, and he will let you go. Amen? You can't save yourself. I can't save you. We all together can't save ourselves, but Jesus can. Sin is too strong for us. It is too strong for us. And all of God's children say amen. Sin is too great for us. It is too powerful for us. My selfishness is too great for me to overcome, but not too great for Jesus, praise God. And so what he says here is this. I want you to remember my person. I want you to remember my Passover. And I want you to remember my power. Now notice how he words it. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. So here's what you remember. Forevermore, all the while that you're going. By the way, having begun in the spirit, shall you be made perfect in the flesh. In other words, if it took the power of God to save you, what do you think it's going to take to grow you? It's going to take the power of God to grow you. I do not know why churches preach and teach that God saved you graciously. Now grow up. That's absurd. That puts a burden on you that you cannot bear. God saved you by grace, so grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Now, again, you have to choose to let the Holy Spirit do the work that he wants to do, but you've got to let the Holy Spirit do the work that he wants to do. Because you don't, not only could you not save yourself, you can't get yourself to heaven. Jesus is the author and the what? Finisher of our faith. Very, very clear in Revelation, we will sing, Thou art worthy. Why? Because I'm only here because of you. You started it, you finished it. You changed me. First you saved me, then by the Holy Spirit living in me, you changed me, and you changed me, and you changed me, and you conquered sin, and you conquered sin, and you conquered sin, and my family got to see it. Amen? And my church family got to see it, and my neighbors got to see it, but I didn't do it. I tried to do it. Romans chapter 7 makes it very clear that all of us try at some point in our life to do it. When we try, we fail. When we stop trying and we let Jesus do it, he does it. Amen? With a strong arm. With a strong arm. Just two more. Number four. Number four. Go to 17. Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, they're now out of Egypt, right? And actually, in Exodus 15, they sing a wonderful song. They praise God because they, horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea, right? The Red Sea has killed all of the Egyptians. And they are safe. If they finish singing in chapter 15, you go back and look at it. They finish singing in chapter 15, and in chapter 16, they start whining. They start whining like a mule. And then God delivers them from that. And in chapter 17, they whine like a mule about something else. Why? Because that's how people are. Right? Without the Holy Ghost, that's how we behave ourselves. God does wonderful things. We say, thank you, Lord. 
and then we turn around and say, oh, this looks difficult. Man, this is never going to be done. This is never going to be done. Why'd you bring me here? Why is it like this? God delivers. Oh, thank you, Lord. Man, this is never going to be done. It's never going to be done. Amen? God delivers from this. Chapter 17, let's look at it. So chapter 17, it's, we're going to look at, we're going to start in verse 8. We're not going to read all of this. We're going to start. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. So Amalek came. Now, by the way, Israel didn't start this fight, just like Israel doesn't start most of the fights that she's in today. Okay? Israel didn't start this fight, but she's in this fight. Amalek came against her. She's just walking from the Red Sea to the Promised Land, and as she's walking along, Amalek's going to come and fight with her. And so what's going to happen is this. Moses said, verse 9, Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. And I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And, Mo and Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were very heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands on the side, one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek. Yes, very much so. Whooped on him, is what they say. And his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, now notice this, write this for a memorial in a book. Now listen to this. This, is the one, this. this one has an exception. Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of who? Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now, so this is a memorial also. The first one is the, the fourth one, excuse me, is the protection of God. The person of God, the Passover of God, the power of God, and the protection of God. But look, please look up here, Christian. Who is the protection of God promised to by name in the passage? Joshua, right? Why? Why? Because Joshua was in the fight. Because Joshua was in the fight. Do you understand? Because Joshua was in the fight, victory is promised to Joshua. Who's going to take the children into the promised land? Joshua, right? And, and, and we learn in the book of Joshua that God promises victory through faith. That's what God does. God promises victory through faith. So here's what God wants us to understand. By the way, who started the fight? Amalek. Christian, don't start the fight. Don't start the fight. I do not understand Christians running around arguing about things, with, either with other Christians or with other people. Don't. Don't. Don't start the fight. You will, if you, listen, there will be fights. You don't have to start them. After a little while of being born again, you're going to wish there weren't any more fights. And there still will be fights, even if you don't start them. But here's the good news. God promises his protection and victory if we will just do what he tells us to do. Okay? This is a wonderful passage. It's a very, very important passage. So we have the, we have the person of God delivering us by blood and by power, right? By the Passover and by power. We have been, you and I have been, you and I have been saved by blood and by power. Saved for out of Egypt unto a whole new life. Now we're living our new life and suddenly we find out that the things that we used to get along with just fine, before you were saved, the things you got along with just fine, you don't get along with them anymore, do you? 
right? I can tell you, after I got saved, the things that I didn't get along with, most of them were within me, right? The, 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 the warfare that was going on was primarily within me to begin with. Things that I used to love to do, the Holy Ghost did not love them at all, right? The music that I listened to, the places that I went, just the things that I thought about, those things, the Holy Spirit said, I do not like these things at all. And here's the thing, I'm going to conquer them in your life. Right? I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to conquer them in your life. They're not going to have dominion over you anymore. Praise God for that. But you know what? Your flesh likes some of those things. Right? Some of those things you want to get rid of immediately. Right? I don't want to go down my laundry list, but you know in your own life, Lord, I really want victory over this. Lord, I really want victory over this. And the Lord says, I will give you victory over that. I will give you victory over that. I will give you victory over this. No, no, not over that. Can you just make that submissive to me? I still want that. I just don't want it to ruin my life. So I'm going to keep that, Lord. And this is what he says. No, don't keep it. Let me kill it. No, no, Lord. It's my friend. It's not your friend. You can treat it as a friend, but it's going to betray you, and it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt other people in your life. And guess what? It does. And eventually, this will be your cry. Lord, deliver me from this. And he says, I will deliver you from it. But I could have delivered it from it a long, long time ago if you would have let me. Amen? God promises his protection from all evil in our lives. And again, listen, please hear me. The primary source of evil in our lives is not things outside of us. It's things inside of us. But once God conquers those things, you will find that there will be people who will fight with you. There will be, and again, but we wrestle not with flesh and blood. They don't know Jesus. Okay? Remember, they don't know Jesus. They, if they can see peace and joy and love in your life, you can tell them, listen, listen, I'm not going to fight with you about this. I'm not going to. I don't have to fight with you about this. I just want you to know Jesus has better than that for you if you'll let him give it to you. He will set you free from that. Amen? This is, this is the wonderful truth of God. And then the last one, the last one, toward the end of the book, if you'll turn with me to chapter 28, Exodus 28. And we'll be done. Exodus 28. Now in Exodus 28, what we have here, starting in chapter 25, is God is making provision for the failures of those who have been delivered. And we see that through the temple or the tabernacle, actually. We see it through the tabernacle and the priesthood. Now, I want you to see chapter, Exodus 28, beginning in verse 12. No, let's start in verse 6, all the way back to verse 6. We're going we're gonna to finish in 12. 6, Exodus 28, 6. And they shall make an ephod of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet, of fine twined linen with cunning work. And they shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof, Joined at the two edges thereof, and so shall it be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod, which is upon it, they shall be the same, according to the work thereof, even of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine twined linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones, and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the other six names on the rest of the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold, 
And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for the stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for memorial. Amen? And so number five, God wants you to remember the priesthood of God. This is such a wonderful, tell me this is not, how, how else would you want God to end the memorials? The first thing he wants you to do is he wants you to remember he, him himself, right? Then he wants you to remember what? The Passover and the power, right? Delivered by blood and by power. So he wants you to remember himself. He wants you to remember the blood. He wants you to remember the power. He wants you to remember his protection. And then he wants you, lastly, to always remember the priesthood of God. And notice how it's given to us. The priesthood of God is done this way, that our names are constantly on our great high priest before God. Amen? Now, why is that? Why is that? Now, think about this. No, let's, go, let's, let's, let's look at it this way. If you, if you consider... What we have, let's go to um, um, Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. If you consider what we have in our salvation, oh, we're going to jump right into the middle. Actually, yeah, in the middle. Let's go to verse, let's go to 22. 22. So here's what's happening. Now, I got, I got to set a little bit of context. You can go back, check the context, make sure I'm, I'm being honest with you. But this is the context. So here's what happened. Romans chapter 7 is this. You try hard, you fail. You try harder, you fail harder. You try harder than that, you fail harder than that. Eventually, you give up and recognize, I don't have the power to live the life that God wants me to live. So now we stop walking after the Spirit flesh, and we start walking after the Spirit. And that's chapter 8. Chapter 8 has all of these wonderful truths about walking after the Spirit. But this is what happens. Listen to me. But here's what happens. Once you start walking after the Spirit, and you realize how wonderful it is to walk after the Spirit, you realize this. Man, where I live here in this earth is terrible. Right? You start walking after the Spirit. You have a couple of really good morning devotions, right? Two, three days in a row where you're spending a good hour alone with God, and it's wonderful. And then you get up from that, and you start noticing, man, everything's wonderful when I'm with God, then I get up and go to work and everything's not wonderful there, right? Why is that? And the answer is because this is a wicked world. Now, let's look at this because this, this is the context of what we're going to look at. For we know, this is verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. In other words, won't it be great when this is over? Amen? And the answer is yes, it'll be great when this is over. Of course it'll be great when this is over. But there are people who need to be saved. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience Wait for it. In other words, I know, I know this is coming to an end. I know that either Jesus is going to come get me in death or he's going to come get all of us at the trumpet, one or the other, and not very long from now. Amen? And I know that's going to happen. So I can patiently wait for it to happen because I know it's going to happen. Likewise, now here's the, here's the, here's the wonderful thing. Verse, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, 
But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray about this. This is too big for me. You don't have to know how to pray. Just get on your face and cry. Do you understand? You don't even have to cry intelligently because the Holy Spirit within you hears your heart and will take those prayers to God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? I don't know how to pray. Good for you. Good for you. I don't either. But the Holy Spirit does. I think we make the mistake of thinking sometimes we do know how to pray. And I think we hinder ourselves through our own quote-unquote intellect in our prayer. Instead of praying like you're a smarty pants, pray this way. God help. God help me. God help him. God help her. God help them. God help. And the Holy Spirit knows what we need. So that's number one. We have the Holy Spirit, right? Helping us in our prayer. For he that searches the hearts, verse 27, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Praise God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to the purpose. Now here's this. So this is the second truth. This is wonderful. Listen, because you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit within you knows how to pray. And because you don't know how to live, God the Father is ordering your everyday life. And by the way, every one of us, if we could take this truth, Romans 8.28, we take, listen, hear me. We take Romans 8.28 and use it this way. God fixes things when we get in a mess. That's not what it says. What it says is this. God sends what we consider the mess on purpose into our lives. Because he wants to teach us something in the midst of that. Listen to me. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. If I could take this passage out of my Bible, I think I would take this passage out of my Bible, right? I was talking to Billy Harris the other day about his back. How many of you, listen, I'll be honest now, how many of you, if you could take Billy Harris's back pain away from him, the accident that caused his back pain away from him, how many of you would take it away from him? Raise your hand if you would. Go ahead, raise it nice and high if you would. Right, and we're all wrong, right? Because God brought it into his life, yes? That's what this is saying. Again, let me read it again. We read this as if God's going to fix bad things. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them which are the called according to his purposes. God knows what I need in my life. God knows what you need in your life. And he brings it on purpose. Now you would think with one, the Holy Spirit living in me, showing me how to pray, and two, God the Father ordering my life, that my life would be perfect. Right? Shouldn't it be? I'm now walking after the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit teaching me how to pray or praying what I need. I have God the Father ordering my life. Everything should be perfect. But go a little further. And this is what it says. It says, verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Remember that priest with our names on his shoulders? Amen? Why is that? Listen, please hear me, Christian. Because with the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Spirit of God praying for you, and God the Father ordering your life, you still don't live like you're supposed to. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we did? Really, wouldn't it be wonderful if we did? Wouldn't it be good for our family if we did? Wouldn't it be good for everybody if we did? And by the way, we are learning to grow in this. Yes, really we are. But here's the good news. When you fail, Jesus is already there. Right? Because, listen, because Jehovah 
the name, the person of God, not only gave the blood and the power and the protection, he has the priesthood to keep you safe forever. Safe forever. Amen? Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Amen? His child and forever I am. Yes? Why? Because I have a great high priest. Whoever liveth to make intercession for me. And I have all the advantages that allow me to live a life of, of actual victory here on earth. But when I fail, Jesus doesn't leave me nor forsake me. He stays there before the Father pleading for us. And he continues to come out from the Father and pour out powerful blessings into our lives. That's our God. Those are the five things that God wants you to remember. Can you take them with you? Can you take these five things with you? The person of God. The Passover of God. The uh, power of God. The protection of God. And the priesthood of God. Take those with you because they combine to give you the promise of complete deliverance. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us these, these few minutes together. Thank you for what you're wanting to do in our lives. Lord, would you be honored and glorified in our lives through these things, Lord? Would you, would you give each one of your children the victory today that we need? Lord, would you cause us to lay hold of what it is that we need in our lives? And Lord, if there's anybody here who does not have, who's not been delivered by blood and by power, who does not have the salvation that's in Christ, Lord, would you give them so great a salvation? Would someone, would you give one of us the opportunity to be a help to them? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.